welcome to the Friday, August 20th edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, party crashers leaving Afghanistan and Biden versus Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. I'm Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, James. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. There's been a lot going on in the Iowa political world this week. Iowa, um, Bernie Sanders is coming back to Iowa 41 months before the next presidential caucuses. Um, rising COVID has prompted the cancellation of what used to be an annual celebration and fundraiser, the Wing Ding, to avoid the possibility of being a super spreader event. That's not the only political event planners um, that are facing similar decisions. South Central Iowa Labor Council has canceled its Labor Day parade because of COVID numbers and the Hawkeye Labor Council in Cedar Rapids is monitoring those numbers and will decide next week whether to cancel. Polk County State Cry organizers are planning an in-person event but will require proof of vaccination and everyone must uh, wear a mask and attendees will be required to be maintain physical celebration is it sort of a non-get-together get-together? The big question is, uh, how are they going to handle the pass the bucket? And there's another candidate officially in the race for the Democratic nomination for governor. Deidre DeGier officially declared, and one of her first stops was where, Amy? It was in West Des Moines, but then she came to Waterloo, <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> and the what's significant? Of, uh, the other Democratic candidate for governor, Roz Smith, who was unfortunately not in attendance, but she did get a handful of um, other Democrats and and people to, to come out and see her, and she talked a lot about you know her optimistic view of you know governing and, and things like that, and and getting people on board. Um, I think she's taking a little bit of a moderate tack, at least at first. So that'll be interesting, um, especially the people that were there who were, you know, sort of the hardcore Democrats, I think, are looking for maybe somebody to, to take a little bit harder um, tack on it. But there were some people that, you know, like to hear what she was saying and, and are keeping an open mind. Obviously, we're more than a year out. Right. From the June 2022 primary. So lots well, of time. More than a year from that. Yes. But true. Yeah. Yes. Year from the the, the the real election, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the one that counts. <laughs> All right. Well, this week we're going to talk about uninvited guests, and no, we're not talking about ants at a picnic, but it was kind of the same sort of thing. Uh, about a hundred people showed up at the American First America First rally led by Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and Florida Representative Matt Gates in Des Moines Thursday evening. Uh, no doubt the rally would have been much huger if the America Firster in chief had been there, but I guess he was busy working on his golf game or trying to keep his tax records private. Um, so what did we learn from this? First, they told us there's a new axis of evil, Democrats, the media, and big tech, according to Green, um, who was kicked off Twitter for posting misinformation about COVID-19. Todd, um, wouldn't you think that someone who led an American First rally might have included the Taliban in the axis of evil? Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at the the history of evil axes, axi, <laughs> not sure, uh, you know, 
of course, in World War II, the Axis powers were Germany, Italy, and Japan. And then George W. Bush updated it uh, to, to be Iraq, Iran, and uh, North Korea. And now it's, according to uh, Representative Taylor Green, it's the Democrats, the media, and big tech. You, you can kind of detect a, somewhat of a change there. I mean, we've gone from the enemy being without to being within, and basically you've got a whole segment of, of, of the population that sees the folks on the other side of the political spectrum as not only someone they just disagree with, but actually enemies bent on destroying the country. So that's, of course, troubling, but that's what we're stuck with. And, and folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are going out there and capitalizing on those resentments and that anger and trying to sort of gin it up for political gain. And you're right. I'm, well, I'm glad at least that only 100 people showed up, but you're right. If if the, the, chief, the chief stoker of outrage would have showed up, it would have been probably a crowd in the, in the thousands. So, yeah, um, I think the, that, you know, the, the change, the historic change in what the axis of evil is basically is a good illustration of how our, uh, how our politics has, has, has sort of fallen into the abyss. Yeah, we're, we're not so concerned about those people who are, uh, you know, shooting at well, us or yeah. maybe shooting at us. But uh, in yeah. fact, we in, in fact, we sort of like Hungary more than <laughs> our people that live other people that live in America. I mean, you've got conservatives that are sort of looking at Viktor Orban's government and saying, hey, no press freedom. That that sounds pretty good. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, strange days. Strange days, indeed. Green Gates, that's my term for this uh, dynamic duo. Um, <laughs> Green Gates did have some items on their to-do list. Uh, Green said she plans to file articles of impeachment today to remove Joe Biden from office. Uh, she also asked the crowd to support Trump for president in 2024. Gates trumped her, uh, see what I did there, by saying that Trump <laughs> should run for the U.S. House next year and then he could become Speaker of the House. This is where I usually say, if any of those things happen, we'll talk about it on a future edition of On Out Politics. <laughs> but given the options of Biden impeachment, a second Trump term, or Speaker of the House Trump, Todd, where are you putting your money? Uh, well, I, I, I thought the, the 45th president, as he calls himself, he doesn't like to use former, uh, was going to be reinstated at some point this month, but the, the days are, are, I was hoping maybe it would happen on my birthday. So that would be <laughs> kind of a big, big deal. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think probably of those, maybe a Trump second term, if he were to run again, is probably the, the, big, the best possibility. Although he, you know, it would be interesting to see if he's running for president and fighting felony charges at the same time. So... <laughs> <laughs> that that would certainly be one for the history books. Uh, <laughs> although <laughs> although Iowa Republican officialdom made every effort to distance itself from Green and Gates, at least one GOP legislator stopped by to introduce herself to Green. Other Republicans were unable to attend because of previous engagement and scheduling conflicts. Apparently, they had the same scheduler as Democrats who were asked if they would be attending Bernie Sanders' town hall meeting in Cedar Rapids. Uh, however, that wasn't good enough for Iowa Democrats who insisted that silence is an endorsement of Green Gates. 
And then Governor Reynolds, Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitmer, and House Speaker Pat Grassley cannot just ignore these two radical Republicans. Uh, Todd, doesn't that seem like the best um, idea, just ignore these folks? Well, yeah, it's it's really the only thing you can do. I mean, God knows you can't condemn them because, you know, then you get crosswise with a, you know, segment of your party's base. And if you show up with them, then, yeah, you're showing up with two of the, you know, most uh, unstable members of your party. And uh, so, yeah, you just kind of try to ignore it and stay quiet and, and the Democrats were making hay out of the silence. So that's not unusual. I think that's this is pretty common. I mean, we've seen it before when controversial political figures come to the state and uh, that, you know, people are interested in, but public officials don't want to go anywhere near. So, yeah, I think that's I think that was really their only choice. Uh, speaking of controversial political figures, Tom, um, Green Gates aren't the only uh, visitors coming to Iowa. It sounds like the Quad Cities is in for a little pillow talk. <laughs> that is, <laughs> I see what you did there. Nice. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, this week um, it was announced that um, the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell, um, is, uh, according to... Um, uh, organizers of um, a, a, a local prayer or the founder of a local prayer breakfast that uh, that Mike Lindell is the perfect person to headline a September 11th call to remembrance uh, event on the 20th anniversary of uh, the, the terror attacks. Um, he will be at the uh, Adler Theater on September 11th for this uh for this 20th anniversary remembrance event. Um, so uh, Mike Lindell, founder of uh, MyPillow and um, noted um, conspiracy theorist, um, is gonna come here to talk about what an organizer uh, described as um, uh, the triumph of love over hate. Um, and uh, according to the organizer, hate is why 9-11 happens and says that uh, Mike Lindell knows a lot about love and about what faith and love can do in your life and talks about how uh, Mike was an addict um, and says that uh, not just cocaine, but crack. And uh, he tells the story that uh, he was so bad, his own drug dealers staged an intervention, but then Mike found the love of God and all of a sudden that took away any desire to do drugs. And so... um, uh, apparently that, um, I don't know, somehow makes him qualified to, I guess, talk about 9-11 and the anniversary and remembrance of 9-11. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, um, he, the, the organizer did stress that um, Lindell, um, whose efforts to deny the legitimacy of the 2020 election has, you know, put him in, in, in the spotlight, said that um, Mike isn't here to talk about the voting irregularities he found. Um, It says that Mike is asking for fair elections and about the need for integrity in our elections um, and has found huge evidence of of election Mm. fraud. All right. Um, Did anyone else detect a little skepticism uh, (laughs) there? (laughs) I don't know. It sounds like Tom's going to go. 
report back. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll expect a full report on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, things caused by love and hate and all that, uh, we're evacuating <laughs> Afghanistan. Uh, <laughs> what a transition. <laughs> yeah. <I'm, laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's speaking of these uh, segues are somewhat but, Afghanistan. Yeah. It starts with an A, so it's at the beginning of the alphabet, I guess. So. Uh, often referred to as the graveyard of empires, um, Afghanistan has claimed another one, apparently, the American Empire. Um, well, there was uh, much agreement that the U.S. should leave Afghanistan after 20 years of losing lives and money there. President Joe Biden has been roundly criticized for what appears to be a lack of organization and preparedness for the evacuation of American and Afghanis who worked with the U.S. over the past few decades. Annie, Amy, you talked with veterans who served in Afghanistan and have some opinions about what they're seeing and hearing on the news and hearing from their military friends. What are they saying about this current situation? The general feeling is, one, they're not surprised. So if you've been over there, if you've served, you've generally seen um, a country in disarray um, f for years. Um, just they don't have infrastructure, even like basic infrastructure, like water, electricity, um, schooling. Um, they're very much not in a position to sustain any kind of security presence, um, like the United States troops. They don't have that sort of um, backing from the government or the money or the, the you know, the troops, it, it's still very much a developing country. And so they're not surprised that the Taliban took back over. Um, they're disappointed. I think, you know, a lot of them um, wouldn't even talk to us just, just because, you know, they don't want to say on, what's honestly on their mind, probably, um, that they're just afraid that all of the, the lives and all of the, the money spent you know, was for not. But the ones that are talking to us were saying, you know, that could be the case, but you could also make a case that, okay, it's been 20 years and you've got a whole generation of people that are growing up now used to basically democracy, security, freedom, um, going to school, treating women equally, that sort of thing. And it's likely that they're going to have that in the back of their mind if the Taliban tries to, you know, basically impose a rule again and they could very well, you know, fight that. Um, through any number of means. Um, there's also the case that it could devolve back into a bloody civil war. Um, I think people that did talk to us were trying to stay optimistic, basically. Um, but just knowing that, you know, this whole 20 years, what does it mean? And, and we're going to find out, you know, in the next few months and, and over the next few years. Tom, there's a sizable military presence in the Quad Cities area with the Rock Island arsenal there. Has there been much reaction um, about the withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan? Um, to be honest, I have not heard uh, much reaction, um, but I did talk with um, the uh, uh, mayor of Davenport, uh, Mike Matson, who deployed to um, Qatar for several months in early 2002 with assignments in Afghanistan to assist in advising uh, joint special operations missions. Um, he's supportive of, of withdrawing U.S. troops from Afghanistan, but like many 
um, questioned the Russian nature of the withdraw withdrawal that invited the Taliban to advance more quickly and led to the rapid collapse of the Afghan government, placing Afghan soldiers and civilians, um, you know, who risked their lives supporting the U.S. and its allies in danger. Um, he said he could see the argument for leaving maybe a very small contingent of troops or military advisors behind in a counterterrorism role to monitor and thwart any possible resurgence of terrorist groups operating in the region um, that, you know, would once again see Afghanistan as a haven with the Taliban's return to power. But overall, he agrees that it's um, time for the United States to discontinue its military operations um, in Afghanistan. Uh, he retired from the Army in 2003 and is now a junior army reserve officer training corps teacher at Davenport Central High School. And so now, years later, he's watching his son and students deploy to the same battlefields to continue the fight. Um, and he noted in, in, in some of those students that, 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 that he's teaching, um, we're not born, we're not alive um, to see 9-11. And, um, you know, and, and so now it's something that, you know, um, is, is being taught from the perspective of, you know, it's, it's something um, in the history books, as opposed to, you know, something they actually lived through or experienced anyway. And so he went on to say, and went on to note that only about 1% of Americans serve in the military. And so, and says that he knows individuals, particularly within the U.S. special operations community, who've deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria 10, 15 times. Um, and so you think about the families that have to deal with that. And, um, you know, the sacrifice of certain members of the military is, is, is pretty, pretty extreme. Um, you know, he said at the height of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan um, during the, the, the surges, um, so the, the army has... 10 divisions, you know, at, at the height of those wars, five U.S. Army divisions were in the fight, meaning you had five um, U.S. Army divisions, you know, deployed. And so that leaves another five. Well, you know, one or two are, are coming back and one or two are getting ready to deploy. So there's just, just this constant tempo of go, do your six months or a year, come back, refit, and get ready to go out again, you know, in, in two years, you're going right back. Um, and so he's talked about, you know, there are, there are people, there are families, um, he knows that have hardly seen each other in the last decade because, you know, they're, they're gone all the time. And so, you know, he asked, are, are we going to keep doing this? Because all we're really doing is asking the same units, the same people and now the next generation um, of those same families, um, those same you know, service members, um, to, to, to do the same thing over and over. Um, and you know, what, what are we really accomplishing? So, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he said it's time to, to, to withdraw, but you know, it's, it's kind of sad to see the, um, kind of the hasty nature of that and what that means for, um, the, uh, the Afghan, uh, allies that, um, that, that, yeah, I think that, I mean, that seems to be the focus of the, a lot of the, the criticism of what we're seeing is just for the, the hastiness and apparent lack of preparation. Um, Todd, um, the World War II Memorial on the National Mall is sort of the, the somber uh, setting. 
the World War I memorial plans call for statues of doughboys charging into battle. Years from now, when the memorials for veterans of the war in Afghanistan are built, um, what should we expect? Well, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but I think, you know, as we've seen with the Vietnam Memorial, it's it's very centered on honoring, you know, the the sacrifice of 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 soldiers who fought, and you know, you know, regardless of how the the uh, conflict, the outcome of the conflict, that that you know that that commitment to duty and serving your country is 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 valuable, even if the politicians and other folks sort of screw up the policy and and bungle the bungle the withdrawal. Uh, there's still there's still a lot of value. I mean, the country values that service, and so I think it would be sort of something somber that that focused on that. Uh, the, the Korean War Memorial is also interesting. It's it's sort of it has soldiers statues in it, but they're they're sort of in these raincoats and they're kind of hunched down. And I mean, you can just tell. I think it really reflects the sort of uh, frustrating nature of that of that conflict. Uh, and so maybe maybe something like that would be appropriate for an Afghanistan memorial. But yeah, it's probably many, many years off. I guess that's why they build memorials to soldiers and not politicians. <laughs> yeah, except the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument and all those. But yeah, they were, they were a little more than politicians, I suppose. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Speaking of politicians, no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the Biden administration has admonished Governor Kim Reynolds. The governor's response was to tell him to mind his own business or something to that effect. She said he needs to do his job. Um, it, it, it might seem to some that the president's quick pivot from Afghanistan to masks was an attempt to change the subject or reverse wag the dog using domestic policy to divert attention from the war. Um, it seems Reynolds' argument, Todd, is that the federal government should stay, should let states set their own policies. Uh, isn't that the same argument local school boards, local governments uh, are making that they should set their policies? Yeah, that, that's the exact same argument that they're making, and they're catching edicts from above that have tied their hands and made it basically impossible for them to even to enact any of the mitigation measures that the CDC recommends. Uh, but, you know, it's, and pivoting away from Afghanistan, I mean, you can, you can completely bungle a withdrawal from Afghanistan and chew gum at the same time, I guess, and still have your Department of Education operate and make sure that schools are safe. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I, the governor's in a in a in a spot where it will be interesting to see whether uh, some districts here. I think Iowa City is attempting to do something, but uh, you know how many districts here might sort of uh, you know ignore the ignore the law and and go ahead and put a mandate in. And then what what does she does she do? Does she send the you know, state troopers in to pull masks off people. I, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. The, the mayor of Iowa city has uh, ordered masks uh, for people in 
um, I guess basically any public place, including schools. Um, the superintendent in Des Moines has said that he would enforce a mask mandate in the schools if the school board approved it. Um, although, I mean, given state law, I'm not sure if these are enforceable or not. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, oh, I did see, go ahead. I was going to say Reynolds is, I mean, she's taking, I, I understand she's doing this to please a, a segment of her political base that, you know, isn't as concerned about COVID as the rest of us and, does, and thinks masks and, and mandates and all these things are impinging on their personal freedom. Never, you know, never, never mind the common good of trying to, to do public health and keep, and keep the public safe. But it's, I mean, it's risky for her because I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know what we don't know what's going to happen with this virus. We don't know what's going to happen with this virus in schools. We don't know what sort of impact it's going to have on kids. But we do know that if that happens, she is basically taking full ownership of it. And so that's a that's a risky tack to take. I hope she she must feel that the support from those folks that that are against mandates is more important than, you know, the support of people with kids who are concerned about them getting sick or bringing the illness home to, to someone with a, that's immune compromised or has underlying health conditions. I mean, I, but she's, she, she's owning this. So, well, I hope she's right. I hope that it doesn't spread in schools. I hope that there aren't all of these problems that could be anticipated, but we're seeing it in other States. And I don't see any reason Iowa is going to be necessarily special virus wise. I did see that a Texas school district um, has amended its dress code to require masks in school as a way of getting around uh, the state policy down there, banning mask ma mandates. Um, no no uh, short shorts, no spaghetti straps, but you must wear a mask. Uh, Amy, uh, you, think, you think that will work in Iowa? No, because uh, Waterloo's public school district has tried a dress code for years and they keep going back to court and having to rearrange that. So I doubt that that would work. Um, but yeah, I think Todd's right. I think it's just going to come down to they're going to have to start school and see what happens. Um, if you look at schools that have already started for the year, um, like in places like Mississippi and Louisiana, um, you this is a it's a canary in the coal mine for for what could easily happen here i mean you've got what was it in mississippi like 850 percent increase in kids getting covid um and whether or not they're going to the hospital you know or dying um is i think still remains to be seen i think we'll have to get a lot more kids back in school and actually um having to get this delta variant unfortunately before we know the full issue with that but yeah i think i think you're right too that she's definitely um you know she's trying to to listen to the base and and sort of do what the base is telling her and right now republicans that are being polled are saying they do not want masks in school so if she's going for re-election which she's widely expected to do i don't know if she has a choice if biden's admonishment doesn't work uh the administration has indicated that it might start using civil federal uh, civil rights laws um, that entitle students to free appropriate public education, um, and uh, they're saying that uh, a safe place 
to go to school is part of that. Um, and uh, you know, the Civil Rights Act, of course, prohibits discrimination based on race, color, and national origin. Um, I'm not sure quite how that applies to COVID uh, pandemic, but um, I'm sure it will all end well for the lawyers and that most of today's students will be graduated before the litigation is completed. Uh, <laughs> and that's the usual, the usual process these things take, and I'm sure there'll be lots of litigation mm -hmm. if the government tries to enforce that. And if that happens, we'll talk about it on future editions of I'm Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend and subscribe. Send fan mail to podcast at the Gazette. You can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City World Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids. Kelly Parker Cooper will take us out. If you know an Iowa band and musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to Hot Politics. For Tom, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.
guy.